When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and joining me today on this bonus episode of the podcast is the star of one of the hands-down funniest shows on TV, The Other Two, which just returned for its third season on HBO Max. Welcome to the podcast, Helena York. Hello. Thank you for having me, Matt. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm so excited because, um, yeah, The Other Two is is really just one of my absolute favorite shows uh, on TV, and I'm just very, very excited to have it back. Um, I agree. It's pretty pathetic. When I was watching White Lotus in the fall, I would like at the end, it was like more like this. And it was like the other two right away. And I was like, don't <laughs> mind if I do. And I watched <laughs> episodes of my own show as a fan. <laughs> Pathetic admission. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, I like that. I could I could see. I guess they were the, the Molly Shannon connection maybe they were going for. I guess so. Yeah. They were like more <laughs> bizarre, pathetic, completely selfish people. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it was it was really just instantly one of my favorite shows when it premiered uh, in 2019. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but I came to the Comedy Central offices and talked to you and like the rest of the cast in some sort of weird like round robin thing where we were just like shuffling back and forth. Um, so that was that was very early on. But, uh, but I yeah, do remember uh, that in L.A. Yeah, in L.A. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was that was very fun to get to talk to everybody at the beginning. But now, yeah, it's like it feels like it's been a very long time since then. <laughs> yeah, it. I feel like I, yeah, I've like lived three lifetimes. Like I, I broke up with one boyfriend, met a new one, married him and like made a full human being all in the course of that show existing. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And Brooke, meanwhile, has made absolutely no life leaps. I'm just kidding. She's, there's no, a lot she's, going on. she's changed a lot. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because the, the show, you know, it's there's this uh, sort of time jump, I guess, between season two and season three. At the end of season two, there's a, a joke about, um, I believe, about Carrie starting his, his movie um, on March, March 13th, 12. March yeah. 12th, 2020, uh, yeah. which we know how that worked out. Um, but yeah, now there's this, this new season where, uh, where Brooke is kind of grappling with this thing where everybody has changed or is trying to, is went through these life changes during the pandemic, but she did not, but she maybe wants to. Yeah. I think, um, I don't think I, I keep saying this, like, it's like a universally understood truth that like we all during the pandemic watched people being good and like, we're not good ourselves, but I think I'm alone in that. I think that everybody, I really do believe that everybody really found it in themselves to like, you know, advocate for the right stuff and do the right things and reach out to their communities. And I was like, but, but what about me? <laughs> um, and, you know, I, yeah, that's, that's the journey this year is like trying to live up to her. What's go, her fiance is a nurse. So she's yes. like, yeah, no more, he's no longer a shoe designer. He's a nurse. Yeah, he's he's like did the full pivot to be like the greatest kind of person alive. And I'm like, God damn it. FYI, you're not that great. I bet all your friends at work wouldn't be so quick to like dab with you if they knew that you never clean the sink like this fork. 
that's been sitting in here since God knows when. We're living in filth land because of you. Okay, I feel like whatever's going on is not actually about me, so I'm <laughs> not- don't even get me started on the sex. Always like, did you come? And I just want to make sure you came. Like, mind your own business, dude. And there are so many other examples, too. I just, I, you know, I don't want to share them right now because I have to, I have to go to the bathroom. And I hope to God that your piss isn't all over the seat again. B, I really don't mean to fight, but that is 100% your piss. You did become a mom during that time, so that's that's something in in real life that you that you did that's that's meaningful. I did, yeah. I became a mom, and I had to call them. They'd started the writers' room in November, and I was like, oh. And then I kept hearing like, oh, we're gonna we're aiming to start production in June, and I was like, and I was still like didn't really know what was going on. <laughs> it was still really early, and I had to call them and be like, so we're not starting in June. I'm so sorry. And <laughs> everybody was really. Um, nice and asked when I wanted to come back and you know I gave myself the like requisite three months and we went back in September um so that was nice I'm lucky there's a lot of people that don't have that I mean I think most people don't have that experience it's like yeah well you didn't have to do that thing where you just carry a box in front of you for the every episode I think that would have been a nightmare for Brooke Dubeck being pregnant <laughs> and, like carrying about basket of laundry like um didn't Julia Louis-Dreyfus do that yes, on Seinfeld? absolutely. Yeah, she was just fully pregnant for, I think, a couple of seasons. Yeah. Like, she has two yeah. kids. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of carrying carrying things. Yeah, but that's like network TV. They're like, we don't have time for your body to become less deformed. I call a pregnant women deformed, myself <laughs> deformed. <laughs> yeah. It does feel like the kind of thing that uh, the other two would parody, though, <laughs> if you had done it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like risking the life of my baby by running around being a lunatic, for sure. Yeah. The show is just, it's such a uniquely sharp satire of celebrity culture, Hollywood. Um, you know, I find, you know, as someone who's sort of like in the industry adjacent watching it, like that I connect to so many of the jokes. And I just, I do, I do wonder like how relatable this is to most of the country because it's like so specific and I find it so funny. But do you, do you hear a lot from, do you get reactions from people in the industry that are like, can't believe that you're like zeroing in on this specific thing what's cool about it is that's like the reaction we get more than anything else like you know i'm like with josh segura who's on the hulk and like everybody watches that and like knows him and i'm on this like we're you know do this niche comedy together like this niche industry satire and i can walk into any walmart ev anywhere and nobody knows who i am <laughs> no, no one bothers you and nobody bothers me at walmart whereas josh gets mobbed when i was in drama school all we wanted to do was impress our peers you know like get in front of class and like sing the song and like really you know appeal to the people that you really respect and the fact that you know, industry people, insiders, uh, comedians that I respect, writers I respect, um, really love and like respond to the show. I think it's like one of the coolest things about it. Drew and I talk about it all the time. It feels like being in this like little niche club or something. Yeah, I still often think about that scene from the first season where you're at the movie premiere party and it's just like nobody is having fun. And that's sort of the idea is that people think that these events, these industry events are fun, but the reality is, is much different. <laughs> Brooke, thank God. Oh, this party is not fun. Yes, it is. I'm having fun. You are? Mm -hmm. Well, not like fun fun, but, you know, party fun. <laughs> what, is, what? Party fun, when everybody at a party just agrees to perform fun at each other, and it's the collective effort that makes it fun. You know, like a 
like this little model girl. She's not having fun fun. <laughs> yes, I am. Okay, yeah, but you know, when you're alone with your thoughts in bed tonight, you're not gonna look back at this party and think, that was fun fun. <laughs> yes, I will. I'm having the time of my life. And I'll think back often to just how much fun this all was. Okay, well, she's a model. She doesn't know her own brain. I'm not a model. I'm an EP on the film. Jesus. Okay, well, your movie's racist. It's exhausting. Your feet hurt. They're not feeding you. It, I, I literally did not go to an industry event last night because it was so far away. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I can't. I'm just going to have to be like worried about like what my gut is doing in any given. Like you truly get home and fart for a straight five after these events. <laughs> yeah. And the yeah, first they're all sleeping in the in the premiere. I love that shot, too, where everybody's sleeping. <laughs> and there's kind of a I feel like the uh, the Broadway show plot line in this new season is kind of a, a callback to that where uh, slowly it slowly devolves into everyone bringing their pillows into the theater and <laughs> yeah a, a two-parter that everybody's like being made to sit through yeah two-parter that becomes a three-parter yeah yeah i don't know when this is coming out but that was like to me the funniest thing i actually went to go see angels in america with chris the uh, this first revival like right before we started season one and, with Chris Kelly know, yeah yeah and he was like I'm a gay luminary I'm gonna run into so many people I know there and I was like I was like step aside buddy I'm a theater kid I ran to all these people like big time to Chris Kelly all over this thing <laughs> two parts like we would we got together for dinner one night and we like showed up the next night saw the second part <laughs> So it was really funny when I read that episode. You really got your your start in theater before TV, right? So was that a was that a hard transition to make the the theater to screen transition? It really was. I think at the time it was like pre I, I call it like doing an Andrew Rannell. Mm, it turned yes. him into an ad like an, what is that, an adjective? I don't know words yeah. or how to speak English. <laughs> Anyways, um and because he had did, he did Book of Mormon and then everybody, of course, fell in love with him. He's so funny. I knew him like doing readings and stuff before that. And then he catapulted into Hollywood and the rest is history. He just like wrote a book anyway. And, <laughs> you know, like since then, there's been so many people that have made that tr transition. But it's just funny. It was like really hard to be taken seriously as somebody that could do camera as like a very larger than life, way too big theater performer, like you're going in and playing to the back of the house to like a tiny camera. And it it just like didn't translate. And I didn't I didn't have it figured out. And, you know, they didn't like really teach us this in school. It was this thing where you realize like, oh, the reason all these TV actors get to Broadway and say this is so hard is because it is so hard. But then like theater people go to TV and make it harder than it is. <laughs> It just doesn't need to be more than what it is. I feel like you're just doing a micro version of yourself a lot of times on TV. Was there a, a breakthrough, even just like personally, and how in you figuring out how to act on TV in a different way than you were doing on stage? I, my big like the first some of the first things I did on TV, I did like an episode of Thirty Rock, mm, which is early big. on, <laughs> which is which is big, but that also big... yeah, but also it's a broad. It's you know it's sort of you get to you can you're allowed to be bigger on that show probably. Yeah, it was almost like it was a nice little baby step or something. I was like, oh, I could do this, and then I did this show called um oh my god, it was like a doctor one of these doctor shows. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it went on <laughs> not memorable, and I was like. Yeah, I, well, and I certainly wasn't because I do when I go on these, I feel like I'm doing an impression of somebody who plays somebody on one of those shows. And I did a full arc on this like really wonderful, beloved show. 
And I, I think I was doing an impression of what I thought a lawyer would be, but like as myself. I'm really just a bad actor. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're learning. That's what we're learning. That is the lesson. Um, I think that the aha moment is just when you realize that, you know, and I still I, I still do this and need to learn this all the time and like keep having to remind myself of this is that trying to make something something makes it suck. And it's just how anything naturally comes out of yourself. It's like the ca- camera is like if you're lying, if you're projecting some sort of, you know, version of yourself or version of what you think this is, it just comes off really bad and false. So, yeah, when I realized like how small and then it was I was just like yourself saying words, I, that sounds so reductive. <laughs> I know <laughs> so you just have to be yourself and say words. And be yourself and say words. Like I look at like Jeremy Strong on Succession, who's doing so much more than yeah. being himself <laughs> and saying words. Um, you know, but yeah, that for me, that was anyway my breakthrough moment. I was like, oh, just like say words. <laughs> wow. This yeah. is going so well. <laughs> <laughs> um well, I feel like, you know, the thing that I really noticed you in first um was actually high maintenance, which is a show that I love. And I know you started in the um in the web series and then it kind of blossomed into this whole other thing on HBO, but that's a show that is very, um, there's a lot of subtlety to it. It's a smaller kind of very realistic, you know, different than, um, than the other two. Was that a, was that a big deal to, to get that and to kind of go into, into that world? So the producer of that is, um, uh, someone named Russell Gregory, who's been my manager since I got out of college, like signed me as a little theater girl out of Michigan. He produced it alongside Katya Blitzfeld and Vince and Claire. Um, and Katya was the casting director at 30 Rock. So she was working at NBC. Um, and they basically conceived of those characters around Max and I. Um, so that was the first time really I played a character that was written for me. And that was when I was like, wait, why doesn't everybody always do this? And naively, I think at the time, it's actually really rare to find those situations. Um, So yeah, at the time, it was just this little web series. We shot it in their apartment, Benning Hadji's apartment in like Ditmas. And it was just so fun when people started to take notice. And then it went to Vimeo. And now you know, I get recognized for that around New York almost as much as the other two. Now. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's such a great show. And yeah, I mean, the fact that it started as a web series and then ended up on HBO. I mean, when when you got the call to do the HBO version, that must have been a big moment. It was just exciting that they wanted to see the characters come back. And we we opened up the first season on HBO and, you know, we had a day and a half to shoot it and Max is now one of my very best friends and we write together and um, yeah, that's, I keep saying that that's like sitting in shit, man. Like that's the luckiest thing to have smart friends that make amazing things and write something for you. It was actually to get the other two, Chris was a fan of High Maintenance. It was like, I need to see Helena York for this. And they saw, they saw like everybody. And, you know, I was on a show at the time and there was sort of this impression that I was unavailable and he just kept like relentlessly pushing to see me for it. And I finally went in and I was like, I can't believe I had read this or it was going on or that this was possible to be a part of this. But it was all because of high maintenance. It all circled back to that. And again, if I could just do stuff that somebody wrote for me for the rest of my life, <laughs> maybe, like, please just get me instead of, you know, like slotting into to something and, you know. 
just so nice. It just really slips off the tongue, as it were. Yeah, the I remember hearing about how they cast Drew Tarver first as as Carrie, and then we're sort of looking for a lot of different uh, Brooks. So when you went in for that audition, what are what are your memories? Did you read with with him from the start? Yeah, we were in like Lauren's office or something. Oh wow, that's um, intimidating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there was Drew. I'd like looked him up ahead of time, you know, and in my head I'm like, I can fucking handle this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Got to build up but, your confidence, at least. Yeah, right. I was like, "What is a little pip squeak?" Okay, eat, <laughs> I'll eat this guy alive. I'm just kidding. But I knew he was like an, an improviser, and I didn't improvise in New York. And I really wish I had. I just couldn't afford class. Like to take the UCB like intro to improv was like four hundred and fifty dollars, and I was like, "Who has four hundred and fifty dollars? <laughs> like that is psycho amount of money to me." And um, yeah, and so I was really intimidated by that because improvising just was is not is not something I'm you know as comfortable with I obviously do it and you know maybe I'm selling myself short I probably am um but you know I went in a feeling away but felt really connected to the character and really loved Chris and Sarah and so I walked in and everybody's really nice and Drew and I just sort of like stood there and went through the scenes and did improvise a little bit but he and I both have siblings and I think like understood what the dynamic called for right away there was like an immediate kindred spirit that was there and it went so well and it's so scary when things go well because you're like oh fucking no now if I don't get it I'm like it's proven to me that I am not capable of anything I say that but it happens all the time that it doesn't work out of course but yeah I mean yeah and I like touched his ear and like little parts of it made it into the pilot and like I like the red mesh shorts ended up being I was like an improv that ended up being like an actual costume piece for his roommate <laughs> that's funny um yeah yeah. Um, and now, I mean, you have, this is now probably the character that you've played the longest over, you know, the most amount of episodes and get to develop the most. What has it been like to do that and kind of get to get to evolve with the character um, and, you know, see how she's changed over time? Because I think you kind of joke that she hasn't changed, but I think she has. <laughs> yeah, she certainly, um, I keep saying that they bring us to higher heights to make us fall further and splat harder. Um yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that it's almost to the point where like, even now I'm like looking for a job again. And it's so weird to have been with this person for so long and to, 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 you know, have that be like almost a default. And, you know, can I do anything? You know, I mean, I, I feel that I can, but like, it, it was funny. Like we go kind of a long time in between shooting seasons. And I remember like I had a baby, I did, I did, I got married, I had a baby in between these last two seasons and I, I got on set and I just started doing Brooke and it was just there. I, it, it is so sadly close to myself that, you know, <laughs> it feels like she lives in me all the time. But yeah, I just love the different situations they put us in. It's like, it was like with high maintenance, it's like with this show, people are always like pitching me, they're pitching me. I mean, and I don't write on the show. And I get pitched like ideas of what they think should happen to Brooke. And I'm like, well, nothing you come up with is going to be as clever, smart or biting as what Chris and Sarah come up with. I just had Ken Marino on this podcast not too long ago. I saw. Yeah. And he's so great. Um, and we were, dick. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about just sort of uh, a little bit about how dicey the TV landscape is, especially at somewhere like uh, HBO and HBO Max and all the changes and everything and how great it is that this show has managed to stay on. Um, do you 
do you know anything about the the future of the show? Is this third season going to be it? Um, you mentioned you're looking for for other jobs. So, well, I we don't know. Like we have no idea, and it's really you know up to them, up to the creators. What happens? Hopefully, people watch the season. Like we're waiting with. I mean, God knows, I would love to do a fourth season of this. Like love, love, love. It's not often you get a job like this because it's not only that. Like you go to work with Ken Marino, who is just like the greatest guy, Drew Tarver, Molly Shannon, all of these amazing people, and like Chris and Sarah, who we love. It's just, I'll say it again, and I keep saying it, and it's going to become my new catchphrase, just sitting in shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it is such a good show. I hope that um, no matter what happens, that they at least keep it on streaming, because what's crazy is when these shows have been disappearing from streaming services and you can't even watch old episodes anymore. I mean, that I really don't understand. Yeah, that's tough. I mean... I think, like, I heard Zazlob likes our show. So I was oh, like, that's great. Good. That's, that's who you need to like it. <laughs> I know. That's I'm all like, you need. So. <laughs> right. Um, I have it on good authority. I'm just kidding. Please yeah. don't. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's tough out there for a pimp, you know, but we're doing it. <laughs> Um, so I want to do our, our segment now called The First Laugh. So I'm going to uh, run through some firsts in your, in your life and career around uh, comedy. And we'll get some some quick answers if we can. But starting all the way back um, in childhood, do you remember the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid? Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Oh, classic. Yeah, him walking around with that, like, the neck and when the windshield gets blown out. <laughs> yeah. He has to drive around Miami with his head sticking out the window. Comedy, big comedy like that really made me laugh. Do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny, that you had the ability to make other people laugh? Yeah, my parents' dinner parties. I always thought, God, these kids just don't get me. But the adults really love my material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what, what you did that, that made people laugh at, at dinner parties? I can't remember. I think it was like really <laughs> like biting anecdotal comedy. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, Jim Carrey Pratt Falls. I think it was just I would watch my dad be really funny. I think it was self-deprecation was really my window in, was like a sense of, you know, my 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 own loser, don't I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about a, a bunch of your different credits on TV. Your very first TV credit, at least according to IMDb, is as Hot Girl on Louie. Yes, um, it was. I wanted to, to hear uh, anything about that experience or what stands out about uh, about doing that. What stands out to me more than anything, and this is so lame, is that I didn't know what a call sheet was. And I showed up and they handed me these, this like little quarter of a piece of paper. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And, you know, with the size in it and the call sheet and it looked like, you know, Pan's Labyrinth or something. I was like, what is going on here? Didn't know where to go. Didn't understand that you like as a theater girl that you didn't just like shoot the scene and you were done. Like, I remember thinking, like, great, and, like, walking off and then being like, no, we have to turn around. I was like, turn around? Like, We're going to do this a hundred more times, time? yeah. I, like, nobody told me that? It was so <laughs> bizarre. And, like, I look back at school and I'm like, why was that not taught to us? I mean, truly, like, did not know what was going on. Couldn't believe how long the day was. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> wild. And I was like, if people call this easy, what? Yeah. I feel like getting getting your first role as hot girl is kind of a it's it's flattering, but it might be a double edged sword. Yeah, it's so funny looking at that now, like especially after having a baby. God, I was so stupid. Like <laughs> I look back at myself and I was like, oh, you're so fat. And like, oh, and I look back at pictures and I'm like, I was a hot girl. I was hot. <laughs> oh, idiot. Um, 
we talked a little bit about auditions, but I always like hearing um, if there are any audition stories from your career that really stand out as either, you know, not going as planned or, um, you know, something that that was unexpected in an, in an audition. I get asked this a lot. And I got to be honest, I'm maniacally prepared for auditions. <laughs> like, like they're always they always go perfectly. No, they don't always go perfectly. But like I like to feel like I gave it my best shot, that I knew the words, that I that I came in prepared. It's just it. Of course, my story is that my name is Helena. Nobody can say it. I walked into an audition and I, they said, hi, Helene, how are you? And I said, oh, it's actually Helena. And they said, that's what we said. And I was oh, like, God. oh, and I literally jumped into my self-deprecation, which always killed at my parents' dinner parties. I was like, oh, my God. Well, you know, I'm just always quick with a correction because everybody says it wrong. It's spelled completely incorrectly. My parents really screwed me, you know, self up, whatever, did the audition laugh. And I got a call from my manager. This was like in like 2010 or something. And he was like, what happened in there? And I said, <laughs> what do you mean? And he said, well, the feedback is that you seemed difficult. Oh Isn't my that God. wild? That's horrible. That's my biggest story. That was like crushing. And of course, now, you know, I can see that for what it was. But yeah, that was horrible. But yeah, I don't have any like pratfalls or anything insane. Molly has unbelievable stories. Like she talks about how she went to like a general and some woman with a cigarette, like watched her tape and just like shook her head and was like, no, no, <laughs> like grimaced smoke plume saying no to Molly's tape. Well, you'll have to put yeah. in a good word. Uh, we're, we've been trying to get her on this podcast for a while. So uh, maybe you can, you know, give her a little nudge. Oh, I'll mention it. Sure. <laughs> um, what about the first time you met one of your comedy heroes, someone who just really, you know, made you laugh or you looked up to and, and what it was like to meet them for the first time? Um, well, it happens on the show all the time, like on a constant basis. It's like you meet Wanda Sykes and you're like, that's insane. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think if there's like, uh, like another one outside of the other. Like, truly, this has been f batshit. The number of funny big people that I get to meet, like meeting Ken Marino, felt like that. Um, you know, we go, I get to go to see SNL now and then, and like get to meet cast members on that show, and it, I find them so funny and great. Like comedy heroes. Yeah, like I I once presented award an award at the Outer Critic Circle Awards and at like Sardi's and Tina Fey was like, You're really funny on your show. And like my butt dropped out of my body. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That was pretty that. good. That's pretty good, yeah. Um finally we end with this question. Is there a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now but really was not funny when it happened? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've told this story before, but so hopefully nobody listening has heard it. But I was doing Wicked on the road. I opened the second national tour as Glenda. And I was like, you know, top of the world. I was like, I fucking did it. But I had this fear. I was on stage all the time. I was like, what if I need to go to the bathroom and I'm on stage and I'm stuck? And it was just something that like I gave myself so much anxiety about. So I'm in Austin, Texas. I go and I have like cheddar broccoli soup for lunch, like a idiot <laughs> and i get to the show and i'm like doing the show whatever and i go on stage to like change my name from galinda to glinda and the and, and then from the minute you're on stage from that moment you're on stage until the end of act one like you're on stage the whole time you have one massive quick change from emerald city into this like or to this little white suit into your like emerald city yellow dress to go to the end of, 
Anyways, I walk on stage and immediately I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I tell the girl playing Alphabet, I'm like, this is bad. And I'm sweating huge, like, you know, 3,500 people in the audience, the orchestra, everybody's in costume. And I was like, I have one opportunity. And there was a bathroom off stage right in the theater in Austin. And I was like rushing through the scene. I was like, and I get through it and I like run past my dresser. And because everybody knew this was my fear, I was like, Patty, the day has come. And I ran past her after she took my costume off in my quick change. They started the number I was supposed to be on stage. And I sang the beginning of Emerald City while absolutely blowing out the back of a toilet <laughs> off stage in Austin, Texas. <laughs> oh my God. And I made it on stage in time for a line. It was not funny at the time, but God. I really have told that story that maybe too many times. Yeah, that is hilarious. Well, I had, I had never heard it. <laughs> That's <laughs> so very bad. funny. Yeah, that is that is really funny. And and yeah, thank you so much for uh, for sharing all of this and and coming on the show today. I really do love the other two, and I hope that more and more people watch it and catch up. And it's just so funny and deserves all of the love and attention that it can get. Thanks, Matt. I I really appreciate that. Thank you so much to Helena York for joining me on this bonus episode. The first two episodes of The Other Two's third season are streaming now on HBO Max, with new episodes coming out every Thursday. If you are not already in on this show, seriously, what are you even doing? If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at Claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.